0: Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast. This is the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckes. This week's guest is Brooke Simmons. This was a conversation that I had with Brooke a few weeks ago on lanterns, keeping the lights on show. Now, what did we talk about? We talked about modern day customer success, how you could finish 2022 strong and ultimately what 2023 looks like, how you could de-risk your accounts process development, compensation, and so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Brooke Simmons. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Keeping the Lights On. This is the show where we bring you the best of the best in customer success, account management, all of those teams that keep the lights on for you at your organization. Now, so excited for episode one. Today's guest has been the first CSM hire at multiple companies, including OpenGov and Outreach, as well as recently most... uh, uh, was the VP of customer success at Speckit. Now, she has experience across all assets of the customer success space, operationalizing onboarding, risk management, retention, expansion playbooks. Now, today's guest, from building operational rhythms and process to developing presentations and even pitch decks to the, to, for funding rounds, she, all, she did this all while maintaining her net revenue goals. So for all these reasons, super excited to introduce our first guest for keeping the lights on, the top customer success and consul- uh, customer success leader and consultant, please welcome me in joining Brooke Simmons. Brooke, welcome to Keeping the Lights On.
1: Ah, thank you, Tyler. What an introduction! Uh, coming off of school drop-off, that's like a little bit higher than like how I've been treated yet today. So much appreciated.
0: <laughs> hey, there you go. We're we're all about uh, trying to to shine a light on your day and all of our guests and, and today ultimately. On customer success so uh, just to give everybody a quick rundown of what we're going to be talking about today and we had an unbelievable conversation prior to this that uh you're that we're going to be bringing a lot to today uh but today we're going to be talking about the modern customer success manager we want to talk about what a day in the life looks a day in the life looks like for these teams how we could finish 2022 strong how we could de-risk our accounts which obviously everybody is stressed out right now let's take a deep breath Brooke is going to help us with that uh, we're going to talk process development, compensation, uh, something about digital CSM2 that Brooke was talking about, and ultimately some 2023 trends. So we're super excited, Brooke. But as I do in the 20% podcast and almost every episode, every interview that I like to do, I'd like to share a little bit more about your up, your background and your upbringing before we really okay. dive into the, 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 the what we're going to talk about today. So you went to Cal Berkeley, studied business and psychology, but even before that, Tell everybody a little bit more about how Brooke was as as a child and ultimately what some of those first jobs looked like up until you went to Cal Berkeley.
1: Yeah, I am a classic firstborn by all traits uh, of of a firstborn, Um, but super achievement oriented test taker, all of those things. And um, originally when I went to school, I thought I want to be a psychologist, Right. And so that was my psychology background a psychology degree. I got to study under great professors at Berkeley and then ultimately got into labs and went, oh, no, this isn't it. Like, I love the theory of psychology. I love the studies and the practical applications. I still like reading a good research paper, to be honest. That's the nerd in me. But um, got into labs and I was like, nope, not it, not it. Uh, I was finishing school early and I didn't want to, so I tried to figure out what degree I could tack on and I added a business degree and hey I was- Most people finished. want to
0: stop taking school. Why do you want to take more classes?
1: I didn't want to graduate. College is great. You don't, like, you don't realize that at the time, but I realized really quickly the real world train was coming and I was like, I'm not, I'm not getting on that train just yet. If I could squeak through a few more semesters. So I, I got a business degree as well. So basically I could stay in school but then realized like uh, how much I actually liked a lot of the theory. And that led me into management consulting right out of school. And that's like a wonderful catch-all for like, I don't actually know what I want to do, but this company seems legit. I like these people. I'll go do whatever they want me to do. And um, that was a very lucky break for me to end up in management consulting because it was just, a kick in the ass. Can I say, can I get them on my own? Yeah, ass? of
0: course. Of is course. This not like you said
1: it. it? <laughs> but um, but uh, it's a great catch-all for when you're you're not quite sure what you want to be. You haven't found your your calling, right? I have all these friends that are going into very specific disciplines and career paths. And management consulting, is it, it teaches you to be like the ultimate utility player, right? You're getting like airdropped into companies. Every job is different. You're learning a lot on the ground. You're acting like you know things and you totally have no idea what's going on.
0: Was this with Deloitte?
1: Yeah, gotcha. great. It was great. So um, worked some projects. I had no business working, but really learned a lot on the job. And um, a quick formative consulting story, if I can share that. (laughs) Um, My most memorable project in my time at Deloitte was working the American Airlines bankruptcy. Um, I got a call on Thanksgiving day of that year God, it was like 2012 um, that said, hey, uh, you need to book a flight to Dallas for tomorrow. And I was like, OK, is tomorrow a PTO day? And they're like, that does not matter here. This is consulting. Like we own you a little bit. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> I fly to Dallas. They won't tell me why. Won't tell me where I'm going. They uh, shuttle us to a hotel and we're all sitting in this hotel. We sit all weekend in this hotel doing nothing. We're not allowed to leave the hotel. We're just sitting. That's
0: like a regular TV show or something, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: we're kind of like texting people, like trying to figure out who else is in Dallas from the the company. Um, Sunday night, 11 p.m., they call us downstairs into like one of those hotel conference rooms. And we're all sitting in the conference room, confused, you know, like what's about to happen? And the C-suite of American Airlines walks into the conference room. We don't know who they are at the time. And uh, they make the announcement that at 6 a.m., so we have seven hours, um, they will be announcing their bankruptcy and we are the restructuring team. And everybody just sat there like, what is about to happen? And we ended up um, on the ground in Dallas for months working all sorts of insane projects just to, to try to make the restructuring go smoothly. But it was the best sort of on the job learning of like impossible pressure and scenarios and you just got to learn on the fly so those were some of the the formative experiences that ultimately like indirectly led me to customer success
0: that, that's unbelievable and there's a couple of other areas i want to dive into as well before we even get into cs but like number one i saw you yeah that was the vendor relationships during bankruptcy you did some human resources organizations and also even uh, did some redesigning of supply chains as well while you're at the point now what were some of those experiences though how did that set you up to, to your career in customer success? I hear a couple different things of dynamic business problems, getting creative, trying to do those things. Those are all important for any role, but especially for customer success managers and especially having a variety of tools because there's a variety of needs for that specific job. How did that experience and ultimately as well, even the psychology background besides like I just think of like crying customers or something like, I'm going to keep you calm, right? Like tell us a little bit more about how those, those two experiences really ultimately set you up for your, this career and customer success.
1: Yeah. I think the psychology background reminds you that everybody's a human at the end of the day, customer, vendor, employee, boss. um, Everybody's a human at the end of the day, everybody's going through their own personal experiences in their, their life and their journey. And so bringing that empathy to the table, no matter what right in challenging situations has been something that I've worked on for years. And I, you're not always perfect, but you can always you know, strive to do better. Um, I learned in consulting and through school that you get exposure to a lot of companies and you start to see some companies that are more dynamic and moving faster than others. And um, started to work in the tech vertical um, while I was at Deloitte. So I started to work with more technology-based companies in the Bay Area, including like biotech. And those companies were able to move faster. They could change things. Um, you felt as a consultant when you went in sometimes that you were just like the Bob's room office space. That might be a throwback. It's a little too old for some people, but um, you, you didn't feel like you could really affect change and you had great ideas, but you just couldn't get a, a mega corporation to move that fast, right? And be that impactful. And so that really led me to like the startup ecosystem of smaller companies. And I learned that they had customer success, which at the time was more customer service type of things. And I said, well, I know I'm good at that. I'm good at managing vendors and relationships. And this customer success thing might be the start. Right. Of what that looks like in SAS. And so that's how I found my way eventually out of consulting and into startups. I was just chasing. I want to work with companies that can like move quick, make a change. Um, I know that I can actually drive an impact in my customers experience and in my team as well. And at a certain point, right, at American Airlines, God bless them you know, we're not moving at the speed of lightning. Every time I get on a plane, I'm still like, it's a miracle, it's in the air. Um, So (laughs) it's not happening super fast and um, a really different experience. So you wanna, you know, be around people that are vibrant where you can really impact change. And I I found that in the startup world.
0: That's so exciting. And and being able, I I think it's incredible. And and I think more people should take more of that, um, that management consulting. A lot of people are gonna end up in business, anyway, at some point. Right. So I think it's whether you're studying psychology or you're studying business, I feel like you should have some type of experience where you should get uh, almost, I, I, maybe not necessarily going into that management consulting side of things, but getting a variety a, a variety of experience as well. To your point, that's at the foundation to the rest of your career. And had you not had that, it, you, you may not, you, you probably wouldn't have been in customer success. You could be sitting in an armchair as a psychologist or doing some research <laughs> or, or who knows at this point. Right. But you took those same skills that you developed during that experience and you brought it into how you were going to operate as a customer success leader or just as a, a CSM in, in, in customer success first and then all the way up to the VP level as well. But let's te- let's talk about the modern day skills of what a customer success manager is currently going through. So if we take a big step back and I don't know out of the people watching right now who's in customer success or envision that you're you know, looking at your customer success team. If you don't know all the different things that they have to do, here's just a handful. And hopefully, I don't get yelled at for missing these because there's a lot more. They have to handle onboarding for our customer. They have to handle adoption, tickets, and bugs that are coming at these customers. We need to make sure that we're retaining them and having these QBRs. And now we're even talking. We're even hearing more trends about having to expand revenue. Brooke, this is frightening. We're not salespeople. (laughs) People are already running around with their hair on fire. But one of the big things is that customers are trying to make uh, a lot of leaders that we're talking to right now are trying to focus CS into instead of just a revenue cost center into a revenue generator as well. Yes. So that way, if you're able to do that, you're and when you want more headcount or everybody's trying to run lean or we need more people, if you're trying to ask for more headcount and you're a revenue generator, your CFO is going to have a lot harder time saying no to you yep. if you're bringing in money. What do you think? What do you and just in your past experience, and even moving as we're going to move into 2022, what role do you see in CS having an expansion into revenue expansion?
1: Yeah, there's a really like tug of war going on, I feel like, about CSM identity, and a lot of it's been forced. You know, it's, it's been bubbling for years. You could talk to some companies that have revenue generating CSMs that specifically own expansion and renewals. Some are like, no, we are a service led organization. We are about weekly active, we're about adoption, we're about service to customers. We're clean. Somebody else does deal logistics. And I don't necessarily think historically one's been right or wrong. That's so dependent upon the customer and the business. Every company's business. so different, right? Yeah. And, and frankly, the team, too. Those, those are kind of different jobs. But as we move forward, the macroeconomic climate of this year, we know, is putting us all having to scrutinize things with a new lens. It's really interesting now talking to companies that um, are trying to put a very proactive sales approach on top of what is a very reactive CSM job. Right. So a lot of what you talked about, even onboarding, right, you are reacting right, to a customer's milestones and what they need to do and how they're engaging with you through an onboarding process. Um, You are supporting reactive adoption. You're supporting reactive requests. Uh, Sometimes that's bleeding into support, like true ticket resolution or things like that for some companies. So you have this reactive motion and you have this CSM that's in this mindset of service, right? I'm serving these customers. I am looking at data and I'm providing insights and service. But realistically, am I being proactive? If you asked your team, they would probably say no.
0: At least what percentage of your time is proactive? That number is probably a lot lower than what your executives would like it to be. Would like it to be, always.
1: That is always a pressure. I see everywhere. But sales is proactive. Sales has to be proactive. Um, To own a successful renewal funnel, you have to be proactive. You are leading that. To identify upsell expansions, that are really strategic, not just talking about like, can I get more seats to your platform mm-hmm. different? Um, you well, need yeah, to be proactive. Those
0: leading, leading indicators, right? When we yeah. think about churn, we wanna know before they're gonna churn. If we, and we need to look at those, not just looking at dashboards, right? But what are some of those leading indicators and those same things we need to for expand, revenue expansion to your point, right? Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, you think about how you train a sales team and a CS team really different mindsets. And so I would just really encourage leaders. A lot of us we're, we're going to have to take on if we haven't already revenue recognition. And I actually think this can be a huge positive for success teams. My success teams traditionally owned revenue owned expansion and, um, revenue retention to up to a certain point, right? Maybe strategic deals or some sort of layer where we worked with an account team kind of thing. But, um, you have to make sure that they've got that proactive sales mindset. They've been enabled and you actually have the processes in place to make those things work. A lot of time I think it's, you know, people assume the the renewal is a foregone conclusion. It's like, well, we're just adding some paperwork to people's pile of things to do. It's just some contracts. In mm-hmm. reality, no, you're talking about strategy, negotiation, um, procurement, right? Um, even, multi-threading these things are expanding,
0: even, even when you sold an initial deal, and just from my experience at Dooley heading their account management, I, I did a lot of the renewals there. It's not just straightforward. It's, oh, hey, well, we're actually, we grew to where we have a compliance team or we have this in place or now the economy is involved and we need to scrutinize this even further. So it's, it's a lot more of a lot more time than a lot of folks actually think of, hey, just push the paperwork across the desk. Yeah,
1: it's, it, it maybe a year ago, it was push the paperwork. Right now, it is not push the paperwork. I was having conversations with procurement leaders where I was like, are you asking for a haircut because you actually need one on this deal? Or do you just need a win to save yourself, right? Because you are getting so much pressure from your CFO, from your CIO to cut costs at all. Like, like, just be honest with me on a non-recorded line, where do we need to be to get this through? So um, it's a really different dynamic right now. Um, and I have empathy for people on the vendor side as well. They're getting pressure to lose tools, to cut costs, to remove tools. I've seen very unilateral types of mandates come through of like, we're cutting 20% and I've picked 20%. So there it is or we're cutting four tools or things like that, that don't really have like a business informed perspective. So I have empathy for our customers on that side as well. They're struggling with figuring out, I they're, they're losing budget, they're losing headcount, they're losing tools as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we talk about, you know, the different areas that you're talking about, people, process, technology, you think like any of these problems that we have where people are more reactive and like, okay, so current state, it sounds like <laughs> running around, head on fire, but we want to get to this point where we're proactive and we know where to upsell and people are holding a quota and all of that stuff sounds great, but there's a lot of muck in the middle as well. So when we're talking, let's just talk from from that perspective of like, say we're, you know, if a a revenue team, if a CS team isn't, um, you know, like one of your teams and, and didn't have the ability to expand before, but now they have this ability to expand, but they've never necessarily sold. How are they supposed to go in and understand who's ready to upsell and who's ready to is, is you can't just throw more people at these right. problems as well. Like, what, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I think the the first thing, if you're considering bringing an expansion or any new kind of responsibility is to sit down and do like a really honest inventory of where are people spending time? Uh, there is going to be a gap between like what people are actually doing and what, we as leaders think they're doing. And then what our bosses (laughs) think they're doing. And so actually just sitting down with the team and like creating that Google sheet of like, what are we doing for this amount of time each week? What happens weekly, daily, monthly, what are we doing? And then editing, right? So looking at that and going, okay, where do I actually care about them spending time? And what can we lose off this list? There's some stuff you can't lose there's gonna be like miscellaneous risk management. A customer writes in freaking out at me and is mad. I have to deal with that, right, as a CSM. It's going to continue to happen. So it would be kind of naive to assume, oh, we can just cross risk management off this. And then we have that free space. So you need to do editing and you really need to think about how how realistically, they have so many hours in the day and so many calls they have to get done. So like, what can they spend time on? And what do I want them spending time on? And then how do I shift those buckets? So the way I actually presented out in the past and in a lot of my roles was basically two bar charts. Here's how we spend time today, broken down by key responsibilities, a bunch of risk management, a little bit of like customer calls, some prep work, right? Like broken out and then showed our perfect state in a bar chart next to it. And you could actually see how those percentages change. right. And then you need to talk about how we get there. So what are the initiatives? If we're adding in something new like expansion and that needs to be potentially 20% of their time on a daily basis, how are we going to remove other things? How are we going to enable them to actually do that? Right. Um, how are they going to get trained up all those things? So those become your priorities for that quarter, right? Or, Hey, I got to do these three things to make that 20% time spent on expansion possible. If I think through what I would do in that situation to take on expansions for the team, you would need data, right? You would need to know like what customers have, what what have they purchased? Hard, (laughs) easier said than done. I'm working with a company right now that we are working on that together. What did this customer buy, right? Like literally, can we tell what they bought? And then two, what are our upsell opportunities?
0: What are these triggers of yeah. what, where, what, what, lever, what bar could we pull? And that's helps for negotiation too, by
1: the Huge. way. You might have um, additional seats, right? Hey, they're at high seat utilization. That's an upsell trigger. You might have an additional product line that you could run a campaign on, right? You might have opportunities to test out or beta something that's upcoming. That could be a future upsell, right? So you should think through, okay, what are some ways we drive that upsell needle? And then how do I enable my team? Remember like mindset of enablement, this is, this is a selling type of motion. It's different than a service motion. You're gonna need your tools to do it. Like, are they gonna have to run campaigns or email people? Are they gonna have to look at analytics? Like how are they gonna be able to tell that a customer fits the criteria of one of those campaigns? And then are they actually gonna be able to manage the deal? So like adding an opportunity to expand forecasting that opportunity? How are you going to get notified as a leader what those opportunities look like? So like end to end, you know, owning that change all the way through, don't just assume that if you send out a couple emails, Hey, new product offer that that's going to take hold. You've really got to swing through that enablement piece on the expansion to make sure the team feels equipped to go hit the ground running.
0: And that's, that's, um, there's so many different points. And for, for anybody who's going to be uh, watching that, well, you'll we'll obviously have the recording where you could access it later. I would highly recommend going back to these last couple minutes and watching this again, because what Brooke is saying here is that just because we're at state A and we want to get to state B and oh, well, we just need to move a couple things around and 20% of time here and tw- over 20% time there. When you think about all the different things that it's not just expansion, to your point, they need to know what's going on. They need to understand those different triggers. They they need to sell essentially. They might have um, never
1: created an opportunity.
0: Just like, let's be candid. They might not be
1: managing opportunities. So you gotta really think about like realistically, what do I have to train the team on to be able to do this well? Um, Have they ever done a forecast, right? Have they ever done deal updates to a manager? Like if you don't have a CSM team that comes from a sales background, those are going to be new skills that they're going to get to acquire. And what a great opportunity for them to acquire those new skills. It shouldn't be scary. We should build their confidence as we do this, but part of building their confidence is making sure they feel equipped.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it ultimately means as well to equip them with what's actually going to help them as well. You know, that's why you know, even companies like Lantern exist, where we're helping to set up different triggers to help these customer success teams to know which account's ready to upsell or which one is ready to churn. Or just ultimately, we it's there's more technology that's needed as well. It's, it's not just adding people or adding responsibilities or, God, the time that it's going to take. But the other portion here as well, Brooke, is that I think we're going to need to tap into your psychology background here as well, because... If you tell it, let's, let's talk about, you know, besides the fact of saying, all right, this company is going to go and start doing expansions right now, Mm -hmm. but how are we going to, how are we going to establish comp plans? Are we, are we just, and this is a frightening thing because like, are my customer success teams or even if I'm a customer success manager, do I need to take on a quota? Do I need to carry a bag? Are you going to reduce my base compensation so that I could have more of a variable, more like a seller? Help me through this, Brooke. What are we going to do? Oh,
1: humans, we'll, we will do what we're incentivized to do, like f- like full stop. If we do not have a specific incentive to do a behavior, you, that behavior is going to fall to the bottom of the list, right? And we know that. We can all think of personal examples of that, right? Um, if that is not a present and clear incentive, it's not top of mind for us. And think about your CSM that's in this reactive service mindset, something that is so different, a proactive, hard thing that's going to sell. If I don't have skin in that game and really believe in the importance of that for my company and for me personally, that's going to fall to the bottom of my priorities. And that's not an indictment of the human like, we need to set up the system to make sure that we are respecting, right, how we work as human beings. Any human would work like that. We used to joke at outreach about, like, sellers being coin-operated. I had a leader that was always like that. <laughs> sellers are coin-operated, you know? And I was kind of like, we're probably a little more complex than that is is people. <laughs> right. But his base point was, like, if you don't understand what you're putting in and what comes out, Right. Oh, if I do this, I get this.
0: It's inputs and outputs, not just a coin, like yeah. not, not just a, a coin, right?
1: I get a I get a very slot machine visual from that analogy, but it's it's definitely like we have to understand how what we're putting in benefits us at the end of the day. And it's great to to feel good about a customer expanding and being successful, but uh, that that's not enough, especially in, in an environment like this.
0: No, and this is a, a scary environment. Let alone where we're already having teams who are fighting as hard as they can in in, in trying to maintain business, or even. But the, one of the great things, though, Brooke, is that a lot of customer success managers, whether they know it or not, are actually selling. Because when you're in the when you have the retention business, a lot of the time you have a champion that left, or you have you you have a brand new business case, or hey, everybody's scrutinizing everything, even if there is direct business value. These customer success teams need to be able to draw a a dotted line or a straight line from what they're doing and their solution to typically revenue or whatever that big C-suite problem is as well. But the point of this whole conversation is they they have already had to resell. They have the skills to sell. What type of sales skills or expansion skills do CS teams have natively, even if they don't have that expansion on their book right now?
1: Absolutely. I think that's, that's a great call out. Uh, and I've told my teams, um, you are selling all the time.
0: You could do it. You could, you do, could it. do
1: it. You are telling people, Hey, you should do this differently. You should adopt this tool better. We should train these people differently. I want you to do this thing after this call. Like that, those are all little bits of salesmanship that you are showing of like mm-hmm. at, at it's most basic level. You're trying to change someone's behavior, right? right? You're trying to up their urgency, you are trying to get them to a place of consensus or agreement or to take an action, right? Those are all foundational sales skills. And I think if you break it down to those less scary components, the team can start to recognize like, oh yeah, I'm doing change management all the time. I am trying to get people to do things, to change behavior, to take an action. Like I'm doing that all the time. And now I'm applying it in a slightly different way, but like, I'm ready to do that. And so I totally think that that's true at a basic level that like, that mindset is within us, and if you make it a little bit less scary or overwhelming, um, it can really help the team. I do think, from an incentive piece, however, um, I would, I believe, in variable compensation for CSMs by and large in a lot of situations. There does that some- mean
0: reducing? Does that mean reducing your base, no. or is that just the extra cake or the the icing on top of the cake?
1: If you want everybody to flee your organization and then I have to rehire a bunch of people, go ahead and reduce their base. That's
0: fine. So let's talk about this as well. And I had this conversation yesterday. It's like, would you rather, would you rather cut somebody's um, base pay by 10K and then ultimately they leave? And then how much is that actually gonna cost to get somebody else in and brutal. trained and up to date? Like, let's think about this people. Yes. What, what is that how you're thinking about this as well, Brooke? Oh yeah.
1: Like you gotta, your job is a leader, is to go add variable compensation to your team's incentives and explain to your leadership team, if we add this variable, here's what I think we can do, and here's the impact to our business. So if we add 10K to everybody, and we say that that 10K is representative of an additional 100K in revenue, we have a 90K windfall, right? So like explaining in the math that makes sense per your business model to your leaders, if we go add this incentive, And this bonus to people, here's what we can reap as a business. You can also say, here's the churn or the risk we mitigate. Conversely, if we add a net retention bonus, if we add, um, you know, a retention quota quarterly or annually, here's how I think it would improve our retention numbers. And here's what that means in dollars to our business. And then it becomes a really clear math exercise, right? Where you can kind of stand back and go, hey, adding this money, Creates incentives for my team, and it's bottom line beneficial and a net positive for our business as well. I understand that, like, a lot of boards don't want to hear about comp increases right now. That's really hard to talk about and get through. So you need to make sure you have both numbers ready to go. Of like, adding the 10k here gets us this much on the back end, and here's how I'm going to drive to get to those results. Right here's my plan to go bring in that 100k of revenue or whatever write your forecasting off of that.
0: I hear all of this selling it. Like when you're talking about having to, to talk to your board and having these different conversations, you are positioning your experience into what they need to be doing. You're already selling right there. It's just, the it's just the enthusiasm, transferring enthusiasm and ultimately getting somebody to agree upon something else as well. And I guarantee you, that those people also don't want to hear uh, when they don't want to hear a lot of the um, the increases in in some of the salary. They also don't want to hear that their employees are leaving, and they definitely don't want to hear when a churn is happening, especially if it's a higher level churn that would have overcost the <laughs> what the ever the upsell was. I don't think people are really looking at the big enough picture. Yeah. And one of the other thoughts here too on, on compensation before we we keep moving forward is one of the interesting trends that we're seeing is a lot of teams starting to comp based upon net revenue retention. So obviously it's just that that um, ratio of hey here's where your book of business was before. Are you above where you were before? Or are you a below? And if you hit at least 80% net revenue retention, which is what our focus is going to be, you get X as a bonus. Or if you hit over 100%, you're going to be getting bonuses. I feel like this is a good way of holding CSMs accountable to to keeping their job uh, ke- to keeping revenue, but it ultimately helps them to have that extra variable, especially with the holidays right now. And, and just everybody I think could could try to use a couple extra bucks here and there. Do you think that that's a good solution?
1: I think one of, um, I've run a couple different complaints over the years, and I'll tell you a cautionary tale before I tell you a complaint I liked. Um, we ran comp, uh, we did not compensate CSMs in a past role on expansions. And when I really dug into this with some great team players that were honest, because we weren't seeing the expansion numbers, we were see ad model at the time that we wanted. I had team members tell me candidly, I don't like expansions because it creates more work for me. I have to onboard those people. And now I get more questions and I have more build out of the product I have to do. And thank God I had that like base layer of trust with them where they could actually tell me like, I'm trying not to sell more because it's more work for me, just being honest. But yeah, that's going through some of your team's head, like candidly, I think, is people are going like, will this create more work for me? Can I handle that risk with what I already have on my plate? Probably not. Is
0: that variable enough to to make me want to stress out that much more? Yeah,
1: and so, but they didn't have any variable. So part of that was they had no reward for doing that increase in risk. There was just potential work and risk for them or doing that increase in work, excuse me. And so when we actually added an expansion kicker essentially, um, that allowed them to see, when I make this customer successful, the foundation that I laid leads to that expansion, my work is being rewarded, and I'm now going to follow through on the additional work to like make the rest of the customer successful, so I can get more expansion. I'm seeing this snowball, right, start to build, where I can grow an account over time and nurture it, and I see the impact of my work. For expansion, what I've really liked for teams is like a flat percentage, just like a sales rep would be paid. Like Mm -hmm. it's a percent or two of the deal size. If you're in like an ARR model or something like that, where you're going, hey, you have a direct incentive to grow. And more is more here. More is more for our business. More is more for you, right? On the retention side, I think what you described a minute ago is, is how I think about it. This quarter, what do you have up for renewal and what are you gonna keep? So like, what are you forecasting to keep? What can you grow on here? And is your book of business bigger than last year and bigger than when we started the quarter? And if so, like you should be rewarded. Um, I typically like a sliding scale on retention, right? Like it's not an all or nothing that can be really demotivating or do some weird things with motivation for people. But actually like, hey, if you get 98%, here's your payout. If you can do 100, here's your payout. If you can do 105, here's your payout right? To create incentives, more is more for the business and more is more, you know, work
0: for our team too. That's unbelievable. And it, it's so funny that you think about that. It's like, I don't want to do this because it's, I already have a full plate and I, I can't handle anymore. Yeah. Well, how, like, what are we going to do about that? And the other, the other interesting thing too, is good for you for building that level of rapport with your teams where you could have that honest thing. And a lot of the time leaders would, would just try to find some way to, to just explain it away and not really try to go find the actual root of where the problem is. And right. that's obviously not good either. So good for you for that. And I think a lot of leaders could take uh, uh, notes on that. I certainly am as well. Now, let's talk about um, some of the trends that we're seeing going into 2023. I know we touched on some of them, but number one, obviously we already talked about CS wanting to be a revenue generator versus cost center. We went through that at nauseum. Yeah. We're noticing a lot of CS leaders are actually starting to report to directly to uh, CROs in the revenue teams now as well. So it's even more of a focus of, hey, it's not just to maintain and retain, it's we want to try to grow with these teams as well. And then obviously with that, uh, the net revenue retention, which is the focus, it's that that's just the equation of revenue expansion and churn reduction. So how do, you, how do you reduce churn? It's making sure that you have real-time customer health in place, right? And understanding what's actually going on. And then point number four is trying to do more with less, which we, t- we touched on as well. How do we take these teams from going reactive to proactive? And if we want, the only way that we're going to have more time to expand is to get them into that proactive mode. What are you seeing? Any thoughts on some of those trends? And ultimately what else are you seeing in the market?
1: Yeah, I think um, do more with less is true for so many of us. Um, we know that we're going to continue to get customers for the next, like, let's say 12 months. And, right? um, you know, however long we're in, we're in a situation where we're being conservative. Right. But we might not be getting the head count, right. That linearly grows with that customer base. And if you're like any team I've worked with, right. You're already looking at books of business and going, Ooh, those feel kind of big.
0: We could go yeah. from 20 to 25 or no oh you're saying you're saying they already feel like you need to downsize
1: yeah and a lot of situations you have team members telling you like i'm capped with my current role and like think back to that bar chart of like how they spend their day mm-hmm. they're going i literally don't i can't take another account there's no more flex in my day and they can take an account but what that means is just something else will slip
0: Somebody's gonna drop right
1: right well, i'm gonna stop paying attention to certain customers i'm gonna get more and more reactive right? And, and you just need to be realistic about like, okay, well, what's going to fall off their plates or what customers are going to fall, right? If we're continuing to add more to their books of business and doing that load balancing there. I think realistically, um, I've seen more executives though be open to that conversation of like, what customers do we really want to keep? Like, let's get brutally honest about what customers-
0: Hey, newsflash, everyone, keep. not every customer- is good not every dollar of revenue despite what your CRO or despite what your board is saying is actually good because there's there's a lot more factors to it right what tell us a little bit more about this four quadrant chart that you're talk that you told me about earlier on how teams should look at spending their time of is this customer actually worth it or not which seems terrible but we have to look at ourselves directly in the mirror with this
1: this is, yeah, we got to be honest. And I think this is like a company exercise too, right? Is you're not getting more resources, but the customers are going to grow. And so you really need to be smart about how your resources are spending their time. And you want to think about what are the customers we can make the most successful that have like the highest potential, right? They're the best fit, the best growth opportunity. They're going to be multi-year customers, right? We want to keep these logos potentially for cash and so of like really nice visual for this, I like is just like a four quadrant right chart of like customers we care about. They might be ICP, we want to keep them. Um, they're good fit customers, good logos, whatever. Like we would regret it if they churned, basically. Like that's your why. And your X is gonna be customers we can make successful right? Like realistically, can we make them successful? Have they onboarded well? Are they adopted well? Um, are they responsive? Do we have the right champion engagement model? Right? So you end up with like four quadrants, right? You have your top right quadrant. That's like successful ICP customers that kick ass. And this, these are the ones your marketing team wants to talk to. Everybody's like, these are the great customers that everybody wants.
0: Um, we want to put that big, shiny logo on our website so that we could pump that and say, hey, this is what this team's doing, right?
1: Yeah, th- this is these are our marquee, right? Then you have your customers that should be awesome, but they need more effort to get there, right? Like maybe they could be great, but their adoption's a little low, or we just lost our champion, or they haven't really bought into the full suite of products yet, and we could upsell them a product. So you could move them right in the quadrants, right? You could say, hey, with a little bit of work, they could be great, right? And then you have some customers that are like, they're awesome, they love us, but they're not like the best fit ever. I'm working with a client right now that has a lot of legacy customers essentially that they've kind of moved beyond, right? Their product has evolved beyond, but they're still carrying these customers. They care about them from a retention basis, but realistically that's not where their product is growing in the next five years. They're not the future customer, they're the past customer. And then you have your bottom left customers that are customers kind of like, you know, they're not doing great and maybe we can't make them successful, right? It would take a lot of time, money, or resources, a bunch of pro-serve, a bunch of help, an act of God to make them successful, right? And realistically, you can look at the logos and the ARR and the customer counts in these quadrants. And I would encourage you like to do this cross-functionally with products, with marketing, with the executive team, like get really honest about like, what trends are we picking out from analyzing these customers? And how would we move customers to the top right? And then what, what can we actually do, right? Like what are all our ideas for moving customers into that best category? But what can we actually do with the resources we have? And then this begs the question of like, what happens to the bottom left? Maybe they get something different from your team, a different service model, a different support from your team, realistically, given that you're so
0: resource constrained. Yeah. And talking about resource, I guess before we can talk about uh, constrained resources, like how do you know that obviously we know which customers uh, that top right quadrant, we want to spend a lot of our time in, but how do we go about trying to find who those ones that have a high potential, but you're not there yet? Because like there you have, you have all this different spreadsheets, you have all this data, but. That's not actually telling you a whole holistic story about what's going on with that customer or if they're ready to upsell, how do you go about trying to source if those customers are ready to go? Is it just more subjective?
1: Yeah. And I think don't let like perfect be your enemy of of good here is subjective. Okay. To get you going. Like oftentimes your team knows this, right? right. They're the customers that like could be great, but like aren't for some sort of reason. So, um, missing a champion, have it bought into the new product, aren't super responsive, their adoption's middle of the road, and it could be better, right? So when you talk to your team, some of those can be data signals, right? You might say, hey, 50 to 70% adoption isn't what we want to see, you know, for, say, weekly active users, right, for WOW or something like that. So that's going to put them in that quadrant. But others will be more subjective measures of, like, they refused a case study. Or they won't be a reference or something like that that might be a bit of a red flag that you could, you know, get from your team as well. I think realistically, I've always, you know, this is this kind of becomes a foundational, I, I would guess, health scoring exercise, mm-hmm. right? Over time of like, okay, do these top customers actually have the best metrics and the best inputs? It's a good way to like kick your tires on a health score and see if it's actually right and if it's valid for what you're how you're assessing your business but ultimately some will be like data inputs and some will be a little subjective.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, the, you want to make sure that you're trying, you, you need to be testing, right? Like what if uh, we could say that we have this big intricate health scoring system set up, but if it's not actually really healthy, like what does that actually matter? You know, yeah. all right. Now diving in a little bit further, you mentioned about being resource constrained. And I think here's, here's being able to pull back on some more of your experience. I know we didn't talk about it earlier, but you were also a, a marketer as well, um, while, while you were, uh, um, prior to customer success, talk to us more about why you think customer success teams need to, uh, to, or should, or at least maybe not need, that's pretty strong, should think about trying to be more mini marketer like, and then what is this digital CSM thing that that people are starting to talk about?
1: Yeah, I think this is a massive trend that you're seeing all over LinkedIn and across companies. So we have these conflating factors of, We are, we have the same resources or even less than, you know, we had previously, we're not growing our teams, but we don't, we we can't continue to overburden our teams, right? So you're thinking, okay, what is a creative way that we can actually scale ourselves, right? We can't be everywhere anymore. We need to take things that we were doing one-on-one with customers and make them a resource or one-to-many or some sort of asset. the last three companies I've been at, that was a huge initiative was to figure out, all right, what, what of our experience can we digitize and make self-service? And the driving factor here, candidly, was like, we're not going to hire linearly or scale forever with our customers. Um, we have to think about how customers can be successful on their own. And we have to kind of decide if there's a floor for service, right? We have to carve off. Wait a minute. You're, not, you're not going you to do No, 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 no.
0: No, you're not. You're not cutting out my dedicated customer success manager.
1: Is that oh, even a man. thought? My, I, I fought with people for years on that word "dedicated." Every sales team, every sales deck I says, I see out there is like, "You will have a dedicated customer success manager." I'm like, "No, you mean designated, not dedicated. Those are different words." Um, but it became a running joke. Um, an outreach of like, you'd get into these pitches and everyone would be a dedicated CSM.
0: You know? I love my job, right? <laughs>
1: my job is you.
0: Yep.
1: Um, so you, realistically, we have to step back from hand-holding all of our customers forever. When you're series A, right? You're, you're a little pre-fit, you're gonna do all the things. You're going to do all the unscalable things. You're going to do whatever customers need in series B. You're like trying to figure out, okay, what's the process? Like what's the actual best way to onboard a customer or renew a customer. And then as the series go up, as time goes on, as the customer list goes up, you have to figure out, okay, I I can't just scale. When we get to 2000 customers have 200 CSMs. So I have to think about what are other experiences that customers can have and experiences that can make them just as successful so it's not pulling back resources just to, to pull it back for fun um you have to wait to pull back resources your team until you feel like the customer can really be successful without them and a lot of that is is, is things thinking like a marketer right what's the actual experience that customer will go through in lieu of a bunch of calls with my team are there guides resources, in-app messages, email campaigns, like what's that whole experience look like for them to get onboarded or supported or answer their own questions in a way that's really satisfying for the customer. And I've heard from a lot of customers over the past few years, I really think that as generationally, like the, the generations in the workforce are changing, people wanna talk to people a little bit less. Like, you want this have, like,
0: Netflix interface for, for our customer success team or yeah, something. they're like, right? just
1: give me the video. Give me the answer. I want to teach myself. I don't want to have to get on a call with you for you to troubleshoot this with me. Like, what can I do myself, right? And so I heard that in our customer feedback surveys this year, customers were requesting more self-service assets, more training and enablement. I want to be able to do things myself. And so I think it's really healthy for us as CS leaders before we have to even cut people off at a floor of service or were forced into, you know, really expanding books of business, thinking about your self-service experience and building with that in mind from go is is a big lesson learned for me. Like it's easy to start high touch. It's easy to throw people at a problem, but when the environment changes like it is right now, you got to think creatively about
0: a real self-service model. And they need they need the same dedicated hand holding, but maybe they don't need you physically actually holding that hand. If you could create that experience, now um, that's I mean that's unbelievable. And you even think about it too, like even if you know teams are are, are hiring in some companies, right, or, or that we are having new users come on, we can't just do a one to one onboarding session with them anymore. This isn't, this isn't scalable. If you're creating assets to focus on that, it helps. It's obviously the customers are happy, but ultimately it's reducing the amount of handholding high touch that we have with these customers. And it's, it's ultimately that that's your, your scaling right there that you don't have to, yes. that's giving you extra time that 20% to go start doing some more of that. So maybe that's another, that's another thing that uh, CS leaders should be uh, thinking about as they're, um, as they're moving into this. So my goodness. That's so funny. Yeah, and I
1: acknowledge right now, like f- everywhere we've, I have done this, my team had to create those resources. That's an that's an Martin, initiative. Martin,
0: like don't even think about asking marketing at this point, right?
1: <laughs> they don't have people, like realistically. So you have to kind of look within your team probably and be like, okay, my team has great knowledge about what could be scaled, what is repetitive in their jobs, what customers would potentially like in the experience talk to customers, get feedback from customers. What would you have liked in your experience? What would have been helpful? Where did where did we not have training or guides or resources? And then you're going to have to work with your team to create a lot of this asset, right? Um, in the past, you know, bigger companies might have big customer education teams, customer marketing, things like that. Realistically, I came into companies way before we had those kinds of resources. So we had to be that first push of resources. And that can be a, a really overwhelming thing of like, okay, you're trying to eat an elephant, right? All of a sudden, you're like, how do I do this? This is a big thing. But again, as a leader, you have to communicate to your leadership team. My strategic priority right now is to create these one-to-many assets to scale my team. And here's the numerical impact it will have.
0: And here's the why, here's why we need to do this, right? And when you're starting to explain that, you're going to get your team's buy-in and saying, okay, that makes sense. This is why I'm going to go do this. And as well, I mean, you think about it, there's multiple different ways you could probably you could start this. It's either, you know, you could whiteboard and say, what are the what are the most common videos that we're going to make five right now? What are these most common ones? Well, probably frequently asked questions. And like some there's some table stakes. One, or or how do we actually log into the platform? Right. Like there's probably some main questions that your teams are getting day in and day out. Again, here it is, Brooke. It's not a it seems like a crazy uh, thing to even say, but leaders need to be talking to their teams of what's actually going on on the front lines. Cool. That's not just a sales thing. That's every leader should be talking about that because then it's going to help your teams scale and make them happy and, and understand. Yeah. Or the other thing you could do is if you're even leaner team, it's every time you have something that's coming up, then you make an asset for it. And then it takes time to build up early on. Right. But over time, you're still building it. So you're just eating that elephant one bite at a time. You're as much, Yep.
1: Yeah. You don't have to make it a, a huge thing. I love it. Of just like if we do five videos this month, right?
0: Like that's a huge win
1: and we're not, uh, buy a loom license, make some loom videos.
0: They're not that's it. You could, you could just as simple as putting on a PowerPoint slide and creating a, a loom video. And just, it's, it's just as simple. You can make a nice asset, good enough, right? What you good were enough. talking about. And, and that will help these, uh, the customers and I know I just took a big breath because thinking about having people, uh, help with reducing some of that time, I hopefully reduces some of the anxiety that, that some totally. of the teams uh, are going to be having here as well. Now I know we're, we're wrapping up here. This time has gone w- way too fast as it typically does. Um, uh, now big question I want to ask you as well is, you know, obviously the the, the name of the show here is, is keeping the lights on. What's the biggest factor in 2023 whether it's customer success leaders, customer success, or even even just businesses in general, should be doing in order to keep the lights on.
1: Yeah. Oh I feel like a lot of us are in this this mindset of bracing, kind of writing it out business wise. You're seeing that across VCs, across, you know, the private equity market of like, okay, brace this, you know, you're now seeing numbers come out of like, okay, well there'll be two more years of recession or something like that. Realistically, what I would look at is of our best customers, right? How do I keep them and demonstrate value to them in these two years so that when that customer is ready and we're able to recover, I can grow them exponentially? We might not be seeing the same new logo pipeline. We might not be seeing the same expansion pipeline due to factors not within our control right now. But realistically, how do I set myself up in the best position possible with these customers so that when they do get budget back, they are ready to burn, right? They are ready to grow with me. And so I would just um, encourage leaders to have those honest dialogues with the C-suite, with their revenue leader of like, okay, even if we can't grow this customer now, are we showing them as much value as possible? So that we are top of mind when their budget does come back or they do make these hires or they are ready to expand. And are we protecting that revenue in the best way possible? I I truly think that this probably means refocusing a little bit from like save every dollar to save the dollars that can continue to grow in the future. So that when you come out of a recession, you're hockey sticking right back up um, in partnership with your sales team versus You know continuing to lose customers for the next three quarters that otherwise could have grown a year from now
0: okay all right everybody i hope that you're able to just take that big deep breath here because what i'm hearing is like right now we're in the phase of just keep kicking keep your head above water let's swim let's do everything that we can and ultimately think we will come out of this stronger and uh we just need to to keep getting through it brooke this was unbelievable. Before we before we bring Zay onto the stage here as well, where can people learn more about you and everything that you have going on?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I have decided to make the switch full time into customer success consulting, which is super exciting for me. I've been kicking this around in my gut for a couple of years and um, had the opportunity in the past, but was never able to say, yes, I was committed to a company. I care about my job, my team, my roles. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure I'll be in like the show notes, but I'd love to work with you or your companies if you're thinking about some of these challenges over the next few quarters. I know that especially right now, not every company can hire a customer success executive, right? Um, We have to work with what we've got and I wanna help companies as we navigate these tough waters together.
0: That's amazing. And you could hear the passion in Brooke's voice when she's saying this as well. And Brooke, I'm so excited for you um, to just take that big bet on yourself. And it's yeah. so exciting. I know you, you mentioned that you Scariest were sitting hat. about it before. Oh, it's scary. But again, keep swimming. You got this. And, and we're going to move forward there as well. So I want to say say thank you so much for that. And ultimately as well. So thank you so much for your time. And I want to give a big shout out to the entire Lantern team as well for, for helping us really put this show on. The product team who's been working hard over the past few years to develop this incredible product to help teams with revenue expansion and understanding churn risk, uh, to, to keep customer success teams like we were talking about with Brooke uh, ready to go and ready to upsell, as well as understanding champion monitoring. I mean, I'm, I'm done talking about Lantern, but I want to say thank you to the, the product team for, uh, for for kicking so much butt and doing that. Big shout out to David, our CEO and founder, for creating, creating this thing. And ultimately, I'm going to bring this guy on the stage here as well. This is Zay, everyone. His name's Isaiah, but he goes by Zay. He was the guy in the background who was putting this show on as well. And big shout out to Zay. Thank you so much, man, because you are one of the big factors in keeping the lights on here as well. This guy writes code. He does marketing <laughs> SEO. He does. I mean, like if I asked him to order me lunch, he probably would do that too. Like this guy would, was willing to do anything for the team. So <laughs> Don't, don't push you. it, but I,
1: <laughs> I so appreciate you know, it.
0: It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Should I order lunch then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lunch is on you today. <laughs> okay. Also, Zay, also one other cool thing too, and we're really excited to be rolling out in the next couple months as well, is Zay's really big in the nonprofit portion as well. He was actually a CNN hero a couple of years ago for his nonprofit work. So when when we came on board, he said, hey, one of the biggest things we want to do is start developing how we could help people in the space, whether it's with um, helping people with training and enablement, with thoughts, helping under underserved communities or, or folks who may have gotten out of prison, helping them, like so many different ideas here as well. But I'm so excited to build this portion of the business out with you as well, Zay. So thank you so much. Me too. I'm thrilled. Um, I think it's uh, it's awesome to be a part of a team of people that all want to build and, and make an impact. And that's kind of what makes it special and uh, but yeah, it was it was great getting to to meet you Luke Brook and listen to you on the on the podcast today. I know we've got video on. But um yeah. yeah, it's 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 been an awesome journey so far.
1: Thank you both so much for having me.
0: Awesome, everyone. If you want to check us out at Lantern, obviously follow me follow me on LinkedIn, follow the Lantern page or www.withlantern.com we're happy to to show you around the platform as well. So this is signing out for the first episode of keeping the lights on. Thank you so much everyone. And we will see you next week for our second edition of keeping the lights on. Thanks everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your